Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you are listening to a Rad Religion Broadcasting premier podcast, Damn You Hollywood, and here's your host, Robert Winfrey, yay! That's right, children of every single age, <laughs> which is a shockingly wild number depending on where you live in the world and what your legal system is. And that needlessly dour note, hello everyone. <laughs> This is Damn You Hollywood. I'm Robert. That's Mark, who introed me. Tonight we're talking about Spider-Man No Way Home, and we have a special guest with us. Uh, I've done a fair bit of podcasting in his time. I think it's his first time on Damn You Hollywood. If not his first time ever, certainly his first time in a long time. But dusting off the ugly-ish Christmas sweater, Gavin Napier, formerly of the Casual Heroes, is here. Gavin, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Oh, not too bad. Weather's been pretty decent, cold, but not snowing on us at the moment. Gavin, uh, Gavin understood the assignment. He contacted me in like June and was like, <laughs> "He's like, hey, I know there's going to be a lot of people who want to get on your Spider-Man podcast. I'm asking first. And I was like, "Well, then you're first, last, and only, pal." <laughs> and I, I literally shut the door because I have been approached. I was like, "Hey, who's on Spider-Man? Not you." Um, <laughs> Was the general I answer I gave because we have Gavin Napier here. I, b I believe you changed that to your automatic response. Like you answered the <laughs> phone that way for a while. <laughs> You're I'm not on Spider-Man click. <laughs> no, no more spaces available for Spider-Man review. How can I help you? <laughs> so, Gavin, um, in the history of my podcast, you have at least made your opinions known. Most famously, uh, you were one of the people who really disliked uh, X-Men Days of Future Past. And um, you've certainly shared your varied opinions on some comic book movies uh, over the years. Even better than that. And eventually I have to go back and re-air these because they're great. We got into such a raucous debate privately about Man of Steel. It, <laughs> there was no other way to settle it. Well, there were two ways. One was with guns. But the other way was <laughs> dueling podcasts. Yeah, where you re you recorded a solo the um the case against Man of Steel, and then Robert and I de uh, did in defense of Man of Steel. So eventually, yeah. I'll get those out there. So let's go back to the beginning. Um, after you were born, when did you start reading comics? Um, my introduction to comics was probably around eighty four, eighty five. Um, I would have been four or five years old. Mm -hmm. Um, one of my older cousins in Tennessee, let me read some of his whenever we would visit for holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas. Mm -hmm. And the first comic books that I really remember reading, um, were the Denny Adams and, uh, O'Neill run on Green Lantern, Green Arrow, mm -hmm. and the run of Dead Man that DC was doing at the time. Um, so those were my, my introduction to comics. Uh, G.I. Joe followed shortly after. And then there was some Spider-Man and Captain America, probably when I was six or seven years old. So Spider-Man was a couple years after my introduction to comics. Um, but all told, Spider-Man comics have made up you know, the last 35 years or so of my comic fandom. Are you still actively reading Spider-Man comics? Like, are you picking up the new book? As much as I actively read anything, um, mm -hmm. I don't pick up hard copies of comics anymore um there's no comic book shop within a reasonable distance that's convenient for me to get to 
And honestly, uh, with a two-year-old and a wife and multiple pets, we just don't have the budget to pay $35, $40 for comics every week. So gotcha. uh, it's a it's an expense that has gone by the wayside, but I do make it a point to seek certain things out online and read through them digitally. Cool. So transitioning um, into the movies you and i talked privately about this and you said look i want to talk about the new spider-man movie i'm going to warn you i haven't loved the previous ones so flesh that out for me um from sam raimi to amazing spider-man to the first two marvel cinematic universe spider-mans uh what's your opinion which ones did you like which ones didn't you like well we we have discussed the evil dead trilogy in Mm -hmm years past yes we have Um, so i am a big sam raimi fan i I think when sam raimi is on his game his distinct version uh, of horror and movie making in general is just fantastically fun um i didn't terribly dislike the first toby Maguire spider-man i thought it was fine um Mm. i had a lot of the same complaints that everybody else did i didn't care for the green goblin costume um Mm. i thought it was just sort of the iron man suit that he wears What's that? Is it the Iron Man suit that he wears? Yes, the the (laughs) Iron Man goblin suit. Um, It was just kind of there. Not a good movie, not a bad movie. It's just a a fun movie. Um, Spider-Man 2 with Alfred Molina, I think, is pretty universally beloved um, for his portrayal of Doc Ock. And it's my favorite of the Spider-Man movies. Um, I thought everything about it was as well executed as it possibly could have been. Um, With Spider-Man 3, uh, the whole thing was a disaster. Studio interference with Sam Raimi's vision, the complication. It just, it never really stood a chance. Um, I never bought into Andrew Garfield's portrayal of Spider-Man. It just Mm -hmm. never resonated with me. The whole universe felt off. Um, And I've read a little bit about what they intended to do with it and further developing before Disney rebooted with Marvel Studios and started throwing their weight around before the potential merger sort of hinting that, hey, there's going to be big money available to put into this. Um, So then they rebooted with Tom Holland. I like Tom Holland as Mm Spider-Man. I'm not crazy about the first two Tom Holland Spider-Man movies. Um, Much like the first Tobey Maguire movie. They just feel kind of eh to me. They're Mm -hmm. fun, but it felt like they were they were just off on hitting the right notes of making a Spider-Man movie. Kind of similar to what we talked about with... um, Man of Steel, how I felt like DC just sort of missed the essence of what Superman was. Sure. I think the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies were certainly closer than Man of Steel was, Mm -hmm. but it felt like they were just a little to the left or right of center and didn't quite nail it. Benjamin J. Cologne, when we compared all three franchises, says that the closest analog to the Tom Holland Spider-Mans are probably Ultimate Spider-Man. I don't know how much of those you've read or if you agree or disagree. I, I haven't read a lot of those, but I'm willing to take his word for it. Okay. Yeah, ditto. Okay. Um, well, with that said, and the thank you for all that, Gavin. Let's just get into this because we have a long night. This is going to be a 12-hour oh, podcast as we break this movie down. So I hope nobody has to go to work tomorrow. I know I do. But I'm going to leave you. But after about the 10th hour, I'm going to leave you two to finish the discussion while I go to work. Uh, look, on the plus side, <laughs> by the time we hit the 10th hour, we'll be starting the third act of the movie on rewatch. <laughs> Very good. All right, Robert, break it down. Well, do we want to talk about the... Um... It needs to be said very briefly, and before I get into the plot of this. Sure. If you are not familiar with the history of Spider-Man in film, 
this is a movie that is going to confuse, annoy, and frustrate you. <laughs> and... There's a great meme that I that I found that I reposted. It's been shared a bunch of times. Of it's Charlie from yeah. um, from uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and it's and it's it's the very famous conspiracy looking one where he's got all the red line string and the papers tacked to the board, and it says me explaining to my spouse why we have to watch 35. Uh, movies from five franchises before we go see the new Spider-Man. And yes, that is accurate. It it really is. And I, I, ju- I have to say that up front, I'm uh, in no small part because I, I actually went to see this with my mom, who has not seen any of the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies. Mm-hmm. So when he shows up, like, it's clearly Spider-Man, but mm-hmm. uh, no knowledge about who that version of him is. And then the mid credit scene went, wait, who's that? Right. Because my mother has been spared the atrocities that are the Venom movies. <laughs> Good for her. I envy her, her ignorance. <laughs> so I, I, I bring that up only to say that if you don't know who these character, these versions of these characters are, this goes over like a wet fart. Yeah, I think that is one of the deficiencies of this movie is that they committed to this is for the fans of the entire series of, of seven prior movies and everybody else can F right off. I think <laughs> they, they, I, they don't I, care. Hang on. I think they actually have a cameo of the Spider-Man from the television series many, many years ago in there somewhere. Sure. I think if it wasn't Spider-Ham, I wasn't paying attention. I, I, if, if it met, I don't remember if it made it into the movie, the final cut or not, but they had a plan mm-hmm. for, I forget the name of the actor. So I apologize, but there was a mm-hmm. Spider-Man television series. I forget how long ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was supposed to be in there too somewhere. Like, and I'm sure if they really did found hard, they could have dug up the Japanese actor from the Japanese television show. We, you know, they, they, we could have gone. That would have been. There. I would have popped for that. <laughs> so would my daughter, um, whether she knew it or not. It just she would have she she would have gotten her Japan tingle and be like, oh, something from Japan. All right. So with that out of the way, uh, this movie picks up exactly where Spider-Man: Far From Home leaves off, with J. Jonah Jameson. Best thing about this movie, best thing about any Spider-Man movie that is intelligent enough to cast him is J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson. Just forever. That man is awesome. Right after he reveals uh, Peter Parker as Spider-Man to the city and the world, Spider-Man, the long and the short of our entire opening sequence is people figure out that Peter Parker's Spider-Man. And this puts his life under a tremendous amount of scrutiny and pressure that he's not terribly fond of. It affects his best friend, it affects his girlfriend, it affects his aunt, it affects everyone who's kind of adjacent to his life, and he doesn't know what to do about this. As his world falls apart, he and his friends are just denied access to every college they apply for, and Peter then remembers, oh yeah, I'm friends with uh, a wizard who's literally able to bend reality to his will under the right circumstances. (laughs) Why don't I go ask... And can time travel? Well, not anymore. But well, he he he, he misremembers. He thinks he still has the time stone. He does, but I think that was more for the audience. Yeah, like I, that's one of those bits of stupid dialogue that I, that is the writers reminding the audience about things that have happened they might have forgotten about. And I sure, which I don't care as for as a writing. Uh, anyway, he goes to see Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange gets tacit approval from Wong, who is the new Sorcerer Supreme after Doctor Strange was gone for five years. You know, I saw they did that, and I went, like, Pat, Gavin, and so many of the other, like, comic purists at that point threw their pants at the screen. 
because they're like the librarian. The librarian is the Sorcerer <laughs> Supreme. <laughs> over over the last decade or so, and maybe going back, maybe another five years, because I'm really bad with frames of reference on time. Things get away from me very quickly as I get older. Um, Marvel has made event after event of finding the new Sorcerer Supreme after Doctor Strange abdicates the position. So they can plug a dozen people into that role. It doesn't matter. I'm, I'm okay with that. Surprisingly, that's one of the things I won't gripe about. I'm, I'm glad because I saw that. And I'm like, well, there's the first thing where everyone's going to piss and moan about. I don't the librarian in charge. Ever held the position in the comics because, quite frankly, I haven't oh, yeah. read a lot of Stephen Strange in the comics. But mm-hmm. um, I imagine I mean, he will fine. next issue. Tune in. Because <laughs> that's how these things work now. Yeah. Uh, so he gets tacit approval from Wong. I, I, I'm okay with Wong. As an aside, I'm okay with Wong taking the Sorcerer Supreme mantle in the absence of Doctor Strange. I mean, we don't know what the status of the Magicians Guild was in the aftermath of the snap. But you'd think he would have just happily given that responsibility back as soon as Strange showed up again. But here, and I don't want to go off on a tangent here, but so I'm going to say this, and then you're going to move on. Yeah, they need a new Nick Fury because they've decided that the old Nick Fury was was the Infinity Saga person who connects all the movies, and they don't need him anymore. They've shipped him off to space to do other stuff, so they need a new person in that role, a new analog. It's Wong, clearly. I mean, he's been in like every single one of these Phase Four movies so far. He, he is the new Phil Coulson. Yes. Which is going to go so badly for him, I imagine. <laughs> uh, so he gets approval from Wong to cast a spell that will erase people's memories. And so Doctor Strange goes down to the bowels of the Sanctum Santorum with Peter and, okay, we're going to cast this spell and everyone's going to forget that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. And he goes, but wait, what about my girlfriend? Fine. I will, ins- okay, everyone except your girlfriend is going to forget the Peter Parker Spider-Man and don't mess up my spell again. Oh, but what about my best friend, kid? <laughs> oh, but what about my aunt? If you don't shut up, reality is going to unravel. Oh, but, and there's this other person too, and everyone except that, and then, oh, and reality starts to unravel, like it is wont to do when you mess around with these things. Doctor Strange is able to contain the malfunctioning spell, yells at Peter, for especially for being an idiot. You mean you got a rejection letter and didn't call for a follow-up? You just came right to me to rewrite existence? Get out. (laughs) Uh, What happened when... This has to do with what Peter was saying as the spell was being botched. The long and the short of it is he started pulling from other realities everyone who knows that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. With a few convenient absences, but I'll yell about that in a second. So as he goes to talk with one of the uh, higher-ups at MIT, the school that paid enough money to be featured in this particular advertisement, uh, he goes to kind of plead his case with her, like, at least consider my friends. They're not, you know, they're not involved in my activities, if you want to consider them illegal or not. And they are due to the Sokovia Accords, but no one cares about continuity. Uh, <laughs> as he's doing this... <laughs> Alfred Molina as Doc Ock shows up on the bridge and begins attacking because he has a long-standing grudge against Spider-Man. Now, during the course of this fight, uh, the mask over Peter Parker's face moves because it's nanotech and he moves it from his head to his chest to stop himself from being stabbed. Doc Ock stops because this is not the Peter Parker he knows. Obviously, he knows the Tobey Maguire Peter Parker. Uh, 
he also absorbs some of the nanites into his arms, which lets uh, Pete, which lets Spider-Man Bluetooth connect to his <laughs> hyper advanced arm suit and then control it. Uh, right about then, the Green Goblin shows up as he's trying to figure out what's going on. Doctor Strange portals uh, Doc Ock and Spider-Man back to the bowels of the Sanctum where he has recovered the lizard, saving us a boatload on CGI expenses, apparently. <laughs> And he explains the again what happened with the spell that all these other people are being brought into this universe, and it's really important that we find them, contain them, and then send them back to where they belong, because otherwise, you know, dire consequences. So Peter enlists the help of his girlfriend and his friend Ned. Ned. Don't know why it amuses me. His name is Ned, but it does. And they start tracking down other anomalies. Uh, he encounters specifically Electro as well as Flint Marco, the Sandman. Uh, they, with Between the two of them, he's able he's able to recapture those two individuals. Hang on. Uh, was I... We don't, just say yes or no, but was I dead on about what I told you about Jamie Foxx? You were mostly correct, yes. <laughs> okay, we'll talk about it. We will. And how they shouldn't have given him any spoken dialogue. <laughs> Uh, so he gets back, so he collects those two, and we get a little bit of a outside here where, um, the Green Goblin, Norman Osborn, played by Willem Dafoe, has regained control of his senses momentarily and sees advertisements for Spider-Man around the city. So he goes to try and find Spider-Man to help him. Spider-Man shows up, but of course, again, this is not his Spider-Man. Uh, Jamie Foxx does not recognize Peter Parker. He knows Andrew Garfield. Does not recognize Tom Holland. He knows Andrew Garfield. Willem Dafoe doesn't recognize Tom Holland. He knows Tobey Maguire. But he does come back to the Sanctum with uh, Peter, and they all get sent back. You know, so all of the members of our knockoff Sinister Six group that we've established here are safely ensconced. And Doctor Strange says, I've found a way to reverse the spell to send these people back to where they belong. Right about then, they all realized that, wait, we were about to die when we were yoinked out of there. <laughs> Convenient timing. And as I've joked about in the past, uh, it's a real shame they couldn't spring for James Franco because if this pulled everyone who knew who Spider-Man was, he really should have been here. <laughs> but the, I, I suppose trying to interact James Franco and Willem Dafoe at this point in time under these circumstances would have been too big a distraction from the funny. Uh -huh. Um. And Peter decides that uh, Tom Holland decides I can't let them I cannot execute these people willy nilly like this because I'm sending them back to certain death. He and Doctor Strange get into uh, altercation, including a actually funny bit where he, uh, Doctor Strange knocks the astral self out of Peter Parker. But when he try every time he tries to reclaim the magic box, his unconscious body's spider sense kicks in and keeps moving it away from Doctor Strange. I actually got a <laughs> chuckle out of that. So they fight. Eventually, Peter uses the power of math <laughs> and overcomes the mirror dimension, comes back and decides to make an offer to all of these assembled people, some of whom know each other and have begun reconnecting. I will try to cure you of your super villainy. And then when you go back, you might not actually die. I'm sure J I'm sure this is comforting to Electro, who was pulled out of an incorporeal form of being in the middle of a power grid. And going back to that wouldn't just kill him. <laughs> Uh, or, you know, Willem Dafoe as he's about to impale Toby and get impaled by his own glider, but I digress. Uh, anyway, this is the offer, and they all decide, well, 
A chance at not dying is better than certain death, so sure, we'll go along. They're able to fix Doc Ock by, by repairing the inhibitor chip that's on the top of his arm suit. Uh, they come up with other potential solutions, but right about then, uh, Gollum goes back to being Gollum instead of Smeagol, and the Green Goblin <laughs> completes, uh, goes back to being a heel. Uh, there's an explosion. The It's actually Happy Hogan's condo where they're all staying. A uh, big fight because the Goblin makes a singular point that, hey, gods don't have to ask for anything. Gods just take what they want. And Electro and Sandman and everyone else decide, you know what? Sure, one line of dialogue is good enough. And I'll go <laughs> along with Electro because he was dubious about the whole prospect to begin with. But I'm not sold on everyone else. Yeah, I have to talk about that when we finally get there. That was the one yeah. bit of writing on this that was super weak. Uh, so there's a big fight explosions for some reason the green goblin in this version is now as durable as luke cage <laughs> he and spider-man have a pro wrestling match complete with power bombs through floors <laughs> he did an excellent spine buster he did i was like, proud of him that was ron simmons style right gavin it was very good <laughs> We don't need we don't need no twisting spine buster like Arn. You go up and you go down. Yeah, buddy. Uh, during the course of this fight, all of which is, all of this is being recorded by J. Jonah Jameson, whose network of ne'er do well uh, investigative journalists have tracked Peter Parker to this location. During the course of this fight, the Green Goblin kills Aunt May, and we're all sad as she gets to utter the famous line that Peter has not yet heard: "With great power comes great responsibility." Uh, he swings off. He's branded as a terrorist. He goes to try and figure out what to do with his life. While this is going on, the magic box has been entrusted to MJ and Ned, and Ned's grandmother, apparently, because that's where they are. And having seen the explosion, the aftermath, and knowing what's going on, they do not immediately press the reset button that would have saved the entirety of the rest of this movie and owes them any other problems. <laughs> These morons decide that the idiot with a magic ring who might be able to open a portal. Hey, show me Peter. <laughs> so they open a portal and here comes Spider-Man, but he takes off the mask and it's Andrew Garfield. And then, wait, are you really Spider-Man? And he crawls on the ceiling and they go, well, if other Spider-Men are here, because Peter Parker obviously knows that he is Spider-Man, although there's, I'm sure there's some offshoot where he doesn't and everything he does as Spider-Man is in a fugue state. <laughs> they try another one to try and get, Another version of Peter to try and find their version of Peter Parker, but in steps Toby Maguire, whose most of his face looks like he's still 17, but the canyons around his eyes are unnerving. That man has <laughs> deep, deep lines. Uh, so there are Spider-Men have a brief discussion. They are using a bit of how they like to look at the world. They they share some banter. They go talk with Tom Holland, uh, who is in the in the depths of grieving and the loss of the one person left in the world who, you know, was kind of a paternal figure, uh, parental figure to him. The other Spider-Men show up. They all bond over their shared trauma because we just have to rip off another thing for this movie. There's this exact same scene in Into the Spider-Verse done better there. But uh, they eventually figure out that, yeah, we're going to try to save them one more time because that's what Spider-Man does. Now, it's much easier with three of them, especially because in the first Amazing Spider-Man movie, Andrew Garfield actually already created the cure for the lizard. Mm -hmm. So they do that. They go, uh, they create cures. They lure everyone to the Statue of Liberty. 
there's a big final fight because I mean at least there wasn't a beam into the sky until the until the Green Goblin shows up and blows up a few of them get cured they you know they cure the Sandman they cure uh, they sort of cure Jamie Foxx's takes a little bit longer than others they they're mostly done and then the Green Goblin shows up like he is wont to do and blows up the magic box because you know a small handheld grenade can totally do that to mystical items. Uh, but this releases the spell, which creates giant Xbox qu graphics quality holes in the sky. <laughs> uh, that is now threatening the reality, and Doctor Strange starts trying to knit, and he shows back up at some point, like during the final fight. He starts trying to knit back together reality, but he's only one man, and there's only so much you can do. And there's so many people throughout the infinite multiverse that know that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. And so Tom Holland decides that the only way out of this is if they cast the original spell where everyone forgets that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. I actually think it has to be a little bit different than that, but I'll yell about the writing of that scene in a minute. Um, this, uh, this is able to go off without a hitch. The lack of knowledge that everyone else has sends them all back to their respective realms. It also apparently erases his friendship with Ned, which has been going since childhood. And his relationship with MJ, who doesn't even know who he is anymore, despite them being schoolmates for how many years at this point? Movie. <laughs> uh, he initially goes to reconnect with them and ultimately decides they're better off without me because like all self-sacrificing heroes, I, I guess a little bit of Daredevil's martyr complex rubbed off on him from the cameo. He decides that they're better off not and he picks up, uh, you know, uh, he goes to see Aunt May's grave where, he's, grave where he sees Happy Hogan. They talk briefly about her influence, even though Happy Hogan has no memory of this kid or who he is. And he winds up in the crappy apartment with the Russian landlord that Tobey Maguire occupied in his Spider-Man trilogy. And he now becomes the amazing Spider-Man with the home sewing machine and not the Iron Spider suit. And he goes back to being your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, as no one knows that Peter Parker's Spider-Man. Before I say anything else, I really want to applaud this movie for just the hilarity of ripping off, and I don't mean that negatively, but you rip off the One More Day storyline and you end it essentially with killing Aunt May. Bravo. I laughed so hard at that. <laughs> All right, Gavin, go ahead and let's, let's get this discussion started about the craft and your thoughts and whatnot. Say that again for me. Kick it off. Go ahead. Your thoughts. Um... I, I largely agree with the interjections that Robert gave us to the summation. Um, it, it very much is the one more day storyline, um, but they had the guts to get rid of Aunt May. They had the guts to make the clean break between Peter and MJ, and it's a it's going to stick for at least part of the next movie, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. um, I, I was never a huge fan of Ned as a sporting cast character, and the fact that he just figured out how to make portals off the top of his head uh, when it took concerted effort from Stephen Strange to learn how to do that um, and training from elders and uh, wise wizards and magicians that have been doing this for generations. I, that was the one part of the movie that really left a sour note for me. Um, I think for me, this movie more than maybe any other movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe or really any other comic book based movie this movie felt like 
watching a comic book. Mm-hmm. The the pacing, uh, the bouncing back and forth between I'm not going to call it real drama, but melodrama um, versus action versus banter with filler scenes. And like you pointed out, the the one line of exposition from Willem Dafoe was enough to convince everyone to be bad guys again. That's a comic book panel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that's a comic book panel where Norman Osborn says, gods take what they want. And in the next panel, all the bad guys are like, okay, let's be bad guys again, because they don't have the benefit of playing out between actors. They have to move quickly from panel to panel. And whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I'll, I'll leave up to the individual. But I felt like it's a bad thing. <laughs> I felt like I was watching a comic book. Mm-hmm. And in theory, that is the intention of these movies sure. is, is to translate the comic book experience to the big screen. Um, would I like a little bit more depth and a little less heavy handed, ham fisted exposition? Sure. But I also know that going to watch Spider-Man No Way Home, I'm not going to get There Will Be Blood. I'm not going to get The Lighthouse. I understand that going in, and so I don't hold that expectation for it. I do hold expectations that things are going to be reasonably well executed for the genre in which I'm watching. And mm-hmm. I think for the most part, this one was. Um, I certainly think it's the best of the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies. And I think it's probably the most fun that the Marvel Cinematic Universe has had in a very long time. Okay. Um, probably, actually. So I think this is one of the better Marvel movies. Um, there were problems with the writing. Well, I will get to that. Uh, before we go ranking the entirety of the MCU, this is easily the best Marvel movie since Infinity War. Oh, well, hands down. Like, but its competition was Black Widow, yeah. Eternals, and no, no, no. I didn't say and Endgame. Shang Chi. I didn't okay. say Endgame. I said Infinity War. Oh, which which and, incorporates and would... Captain Marvel and Ant Man and the Wasp. Yep. Okay. And I would agree with that. And I think the difference in in what we see with No Way Home versus Infinity War. Is Infinity War was, I think, a better movie, mm. but Infinity War was not tremendously fun. It, it was very bleak, and it was intentionally bleak. It, it yeah, left yeah. you on, on a moment of doubt. Mm-hmm. For me, this is probably the most pure fun, even though there are heavier moments or attempts at heavier moments. For me, this is probably the most fun since the first Guardians. So I think where the pure movie fun, works. yeah. Again, I'm not gonna. I mean, I have, look, I have fun with bleak movies, so that's my individual taste. But look, I, con- I don't disagree with that. The consensus about, and when when I can when I say consensus that this was a love letter to the fans. If if the if going yeah. if the mission objective of this movie was to tie up all three franchises into a neat little bow, give everybody satisfactory endings, and send the fans home happy, film craft be damned. I think it. I, I think it knew the assignment and it completed the mission a hundred percent. I really do. I, I don't, if all you're trying to do is look and I, and I mentioned this, I think on the long road to ruin, you know, not neither the Tobey Maguire movies or the Andrew Garfields have satisfactory endings to their, to their series. They both have aborted endings. I mean, the, the, the ending is Spider-Man three where they're just sitting in the cafe and you like, there has to be more movie than this. And it just ends feels like this, the first half of a movie. Um, and then, you know, the amazing Spider-Man again, I just watched that one with Jonas and, you know, yes, it resolves the electro issue, but then they're like, Oh, by the way, sinister six, and then missing footage, (laughs) by the way, sinister six coming, you know, 10 years later with an entirely different cast of actors. 
Sure. Um, my point being that I think they looked back and said, hey, if there's two things I think people want out of a Spider-Man movie, it's they want a proper resolution to all of that. Plus, they want, you know, they want to see the Spider-Verse brought to life. They want to see the three actors that we know as the modern Spider-Man together in a film. Okay, mission accomplished. So put that aside, because while I can appreciate that and I can call it out as being appropriate, that doesn't necessarily mean it was a well-written movie There's the, or that there was no problems with the craft. There are some significant issues here. This is a quibble, but it's a quibble worth mentioning. And it's I'm not the first person to come up with this. I actually saw this in a pitch meeting that came out today. Oh, I have to watch that. I haven't seen. The, I haven't <laughs> seen the pitch meeting for this yet. They address the issue of everyone that come previous from a previous film that knew Peter was Spider Man comes over, and he goes, "Oh, did Electro know that Peter Parker was Spider Man? No." And they just bypass that entirely. And you can and I could have lived with it, except that they specifically went out of their way yeah. to do a scene, to do a part of a scene at in the conclusion with Jamie Fox and Andrew Garfield, where he was like, "So." You, you save poor people in New York City. I just you're assumed from, you were and black. From, and you're from Queens. Yeah, I just assumed you were black. And it's a yuck to to kind of poke at Miles Morales possibly showing up in a future movie. But it, 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 it goes against the entire principle of he had to have known in order to be there in the first place. I mean, uh, guys, this be- is a $200 million motion picture in a very, in a very prominent studio. Maybe look at what you're doing before you film it. I mean, the Sandman never knew that he was Spider-Man either. No, like, he, he sees Peter unmasked at the end, mm-hmm. but he's never, I don't think he ever really discovers who that, or maybe Venom might have told him, Eddie Brock in that, in three might did, have told him. I also got the impression he didn't die. He just like blew no. off into the wind. Yeah, he just <laughs> left. Like, Peter's like, he, we, he has that, he has that Baromir moment of, I guess we understand each other a little better now, don't we? Yeah. And he, and like, okay, and it blows away. You know, that's the he was, he was perfectly, he was perfectly fine and alive. Right. I mean, to the extent that you can be perfectly fine and alive when you're entirely composed of quasi sentient sand particles that Mm -hmm. um, assemble into a rough approximation of a human, but you know, I mean, nobody would have wanted to see it, but the character, if you're going to pull in the guy that dies before, you know, right, you're pulling in people who, who are going to die if you don't pull them in is Venom. But nobody wanted to see Topher Maguire, Topher Grace back. Anyway, I, again, nobody look. Nobody wanted to see James Franco as Harry Osborn either. That he should have been there by all logic that this movie establishes. Yeah, well, they had to draw the line at some point. Um, also, I I, 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 I do just want to note, I got a kick out of Ned asking the other Spider Man, "So do you have a best friend?" And Tobey Maguire reciting, "Yeah, he died in my arms after he tried to kill me." And then the next <laughs> thing Ned does is go over to. Tom Holland and go, I'm never going to turn into a supervillain, I promise you. I had to nudge my wife and go, he turns into Hobgoblin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my wife so laughing. It, it um, really is. That's, oh, that's so funny. I have to talk um, a little bit more about Jamie Foxx. So if you'll remember, and again, I just watched this. He He's an electrical engineer. This guy is a learned man. He's just socially awkward, and he doesn't feel seen. You know, he he's sort of an, an angry, a person who's sort of angry at his lot in life. Why don't people love me? And then he, he has a moment with Spider-Man, and then all of that is undercut, and then he falls into eels. Okay, so why does Jamie Foxx show up as the character he's playing in Ray? And did we forget entirely that 
<laughs> he didn't talk that way. Like he shows up and he's like, "What's up, Spider Man? Let me tell you something. I'm buck ass naked and I don't like it. And I'm, you know, and I'm. Are you auditioning for the Wire? I, What's I, happening here? <laughs> I needed someone to come out of the woods in that scene with with Tom Holland looking befuddled and go, "Excuse me, Spider Man. I speak jive." <laughs> I mean, that's what needed to happen there. Yeah, I, I, was like, he, soon, I mean, he's like literally got the shoulder thing going on. And he's like, and he's got like a half a grin. He's like, "Why am I standing here, bug ass naked, dude? You went to college. Stop. <laughs> Just you, you were you weren't the janitor at Oscorp. You were an engineer for God's sakes. The whole reason you fell into the eel tank was because you were fixing it. Ay. So I, it, it's it's little things like that where it's like. I understand the need to rehabilitate these films after the fact. Yeah, nobody likes the Amazing Spider-Man except me. I get it, and so they're yeah, back you, on it. You are you are the lone <laughs> man out on that particular branch, and always will be. Um, me and Jonas. Um, but you know, so there, there's this need to sort of okay, well, we need to fix the Jamie Fox character because he sucks. Okay, but <laughs> a if little the, bit of this almost if, seems like that's not the right Electro then. You know. If the, <laughs> If the only thing you contribute to trying to rehabilitate this character is let Jamie Foxx speak in a different accent. <laughs> yeah. Like, you haven't done anything. Um, like, look, Jamie Foxx showed up talking like that because no one cared enough to tell him no. <laughs> we just, literally, we just, you're a prostitute. We just want you for your body. Please put this costume on. Um, so those are my negative quibbles about the movie is the internal consistency uh, we had oh the last thing and you we've talked about it already but just so I can make this point, Willem Dafoe going don't we all want to be bad now and everyone going more or less and then that's and that's it that's the entire motivation for a sudden catastrophic change in everything that was happening up to that point. I mean and when you think about it, Flint Marco doesn't want to be there. He just wants to go home and he he, he has doesn't, he, he doesn't has even want to. Hunt. He doesn't want to be the Sandman either, right. if you'll recall. Like he, right. he, he him wants... getting his he should have been on their side, full throated <laughs> from the beginning. Like there should right. be no ambiguity about this. Right. So the, the fact that he's just like he just yeets out of the room. I'm like, why? Why is this happening? So so the Sandman badly written in that scene. The only one, and I'm with you, Robert, the only one that has at least minor motivation to upend this whole thing is Jamie Foxx, who's like, wait, why am I giving away my power? I like this. I want to be more powerful. So he's fine. Willem Dafoe is the instigator of all things. He's fine. He's also still nuts. They just fixed Doc Ock. <laughs> they just fixed him. What? Why is he? And, and like, and I ha, and I've seen the movie twice now. I'll let you punt, jump in, Gavin, in just a second. But I, I'm watching this and I'm like, why? If they just fixed Doc Ock, is he not helping? Why is he going along with all of this? Or at the very least, he lets himself get thrown out of the out of the room, and then they yeet him off to the third act. And I'm like, I don't. <sighs> It's so ham-fisted and forced, and it's like we just need to get we need to get to the third act where the Spider-Men fight the supervillains and logic and internal consistency be damned. And I really hated that part of the movie. Go ahead, Joe. First thing I want to throw in is that Willem Dafoe is the Green Goblin is the best Joker we've gotten on screen anywhere. <laughs> okay. um, I like Joaquin it, Phoenix, but but I'm not going to quibble. Um, I, that doesn't count. Um, <laughs> <laughs> whole whole different thing sure but I, I think one the reason that you see alfred molina removed from the equation as doc ock until the third act is because digitally de-aging alfred molina 
throughout this entire movie would have gotten very, very expensive. Um, and, they, and they already pretty clearly ran out of budget in a few scenes. For why is your budget $500 million? Well, Alfred Molina. Alfred Alfred Molina. But you know what? He's worth every penny. Oh, um, he really if is. anyone deserves it, it's Alfred Molina. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I think in terms of the exposition, and look, you, you've done enough of these type of podcasts with me, Mark, to know that I'm the last person to be an apologist for what I feel is a bad movie. If mm-hmm. I think it's bad, I'll tell you it stinks. But at the same time, when you're dealing with the type of fare that we're dealing with here, comic books typically are not high literature either. Sure. And if you go back to the original medium that this is drawing from, Mm-hmm. They have a nightmare of a time keeping up with their own past. They they sure. don't do well keeping up with their own character motivations and retcons and rewrites and, and decades of history there either. And the ones that really stand out as legitimate literature are few and far between. You know, sure. Watchmen, also, Miracle Man, as I say, uh, they're Road also... to Perdition, History of Violence. You know, those are the type of things that translate into a very different type of movie. As I say, they're also um, mostly self-contained stories. And I, I think that, again, I think they hit the right notes with this one for mm-hmm. what they wanted to do. I'm not saying that necessarily makes it a good movie. I mm. just think it was a successful endeavor on their part for what yeah. their goal was. Even though there are huge flaws in the storytelling, Sure, I, I think they, they did what they wanted to do with it. I think, to, to be clear, I enjoyed the movie. To also be clear, I think it's mostly okay in terms of just pure film craft. Mm-hmm. But mostly okay is not perfect, nor is it, you know, nor is it, you know, the a new, the birth of a new age of cinema, as some people have stated. Those <laughs> so, people, those people, you know, the I'm people going, bit, the, the people that think nostalgia of any variety somehow equates to good film craft are the people that have caused me to age unnaturally i I, (laughs) there is a difference and look if you want to do a podcast that recognizes um uh fan service and and nostalgia and um and all of that and and just you know you and your friends want to talk about how great you loved something by all means do that there are people who want to listen to that there are people who wish we did that I will never do that. I will always talk about film craft. Um, I can mix in there my own personal opinions, but that's not what, what we're doing here. And, you know, people will listen or tune out as, as they may. So it's not that I, I'm pointing out a flaw in the writing, and you're not wrong in anything that you said, Gavin, but it, it's, I think we're all in agreement. It is a flawed scene. It's flawed writing in that part. And I got to call it out for it. Did it ruin the whole movie for me? No. Um, but it's there. It needs to be talked about. Um, I sent you two articles that mm-hmm. were sort of in the same vein, but a little bit different take on it. Mm-hmm. One, I think the first was, was a dead spin that said that this should be a contender for best picture. Yeah. Th- that by- guy needs to be punched in the nose. Yeah. <laughs> that right that nose. person should never be paid to string words together, <laughs> written or spoken ever again. Best picture. But- Nomad land, no way home. Right. <laughs> But I think the second article was probably a little bit closer to Mm -hmm. something that was digestible and appropriate. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe it was Wes Anderson, I think, Mm -hmm. um, 
that said, you know, he sort of takes the opposite view of Ridley Scott, who has very famously recently just torn down the intellectual property movies. He's mad that um, movies aren't doing well. Where, you know, Wes isn't so much celebrating them, mm-hmm. but he's celebrating the fact that they're getting people to come back to the movies. Yeah. And, well, and he feels like the industry should be grateful for that rather than attacking it. I, I'm in agreement with Wes Anderson. I, I'm happy that Spider-Man made more movie than like most of the movies total this year yeah you know i'm this i will tell that to the hang on tell that to the chinese government they're going to force every one of their citizens to go see the battle of lake (laughs) shang chi for a third time um i gotta so so i i've kind of given like my negative thoughts on it i the other the other the last kind of negative thing i want to say is that is and i and i thought about this when the trailer first broke and they showed you what Doctor Strange, Robert knows what I'm talking about. When they showed the initial trailer and a lot of it is Doctor Strange being kind of a bumbling goofus, uh, doofus. And I was like, oh God, I hope they don't write him as a complete idiot. And they didn't write him as a complete idiot, but I don't love the fact that, and this feels like a comic book nerdy thing to say, but I also feel like there's an internal consistency lacking in the way that he's written in his own goddamn movie and in the Infinity War movies. And this one, which is in the five years he was blipped, did he also become an? Did he also lose brain cells? Like he just comes across as he comes across as sort of a schmuck magician in this movie. He doesn't come across as the guy who was who, for all intents and purposes, is the sorcerer supreme. There is an arrogance and I about Doctor Strange from the comics and, and a possession of power that he wields that comes across in his personality. And it's utterly absent in this movie. To this one, you know, the thing about the Homecoming trilogy is that everybody in it, you know, there's always like a mentor figure for Peter. It was Iron Man in, in Homecoming. It was Mysterio in Far From Home. And in this one, it's Doctor Strange. And they all have kind of a dad thing going on with Tom Holland, which I recognize. But which And it's fine to have done that. But somewhere between being the dad to Tom Holland and being a yutz, could we not have found the happy medium where he still is Doctor Strange? It really annoyed me. Um, uh, I, I think you're right about that. Um, I, You and I uh, defended the first Doctor Strange movie when we reviewed it because there were a lot of people who were, I think, unfairly negative and who raised yeah. the incorrect criticisms of that. They film. called him Magic Iron Man, which was utterly, which is an utter misunderstanding of that film and that character. Yeah, totally. Uh, Again, not to say there aren't similar, there aren't like very, very broad similarities, but I, I, it was a wild misread to compare him to Tony Stark as a character. Yeah, they're motivated by wholly different things. They arrive at wholly different conclusions, and their entire methodology is entire is wholly different. It's one of the things I like about Doctor Strange uh, as he's been presented on screen. He's not like i I mean he's very intelligent uh not that this movie did a great job of showing that but he's intelligent but he's also not prone to just blasting things the way tony stark is right he's he's got a very clear sense of morality but he's not captain america yeah he likes to you know he's perfectly willing to find creative solutions to problems Mm mm-hmm you know, the fact that the entire way he wins in his own first movie is by changing the conditions of the test. He Kobayashi Maru's it, essentially. Mm-hmm. And no one else thought of that. Like, they show up and, well, Dormammu's here. We're screwed. And he goes, well, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> or 
I can set the test on fire. Just a thought. And I like I like that he, you know, when he looked through all the possibilities of potentially beating Thanos, how do we do it? Well, we've actually got to lose right now to win down the line. Right. He's when... a much more thoughtful character. And here, he's just sort of like a clumsy waiter. Yeah, it, it just irked me as a characterization. I I agree with that, and it it was nice to see him and you know, Peter square off for a little bit in the mirror dimension. You to see to remind you that he's capable. Yeah, all that stuff's fine, and I and I don't even mind him losing about losing a fight to Spider Man in Spider Man's movie, which is yeah. the next point I need to make about this being Spider Man's movie. But go finish your point, and then we'll we'll get back to me. Uh, I just don't think that the totality of uh, the way Doctor Strange is portrayed here is the right kind of setup for his movie next. Like, he's a, whatever happens here is supposed to set up him looking through the multiverse mm -hmm. and trying to figure things out from there. And if you didn't see the first Doctor Strange, but you did see this, and I think there's probably a decent amount of people who that is true for, uh, you're not given a very heroic portrayal of this character you're not given a lot to make you decide that i'm going to i will watch this guy on his own adventures necessarily and i think that's a if you're gonna include other characters like that in this movie i think that's a line you have to tread better than they did here so where the movie is successful for me and then i'm gonna um cede the floor to robert so that we can finish up the craft review where the movie is successful and what i was afraid of was that it was either going to because of the uh, because of the appearances by Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield to a lesser extent the villains, I thought they were going to pull this movie away from him and it was you know it was no longer a Tom Holland Spider-Man movie it was an Avengers movie, which I would have hated and I would have railed against. Um, that's not fair to the character. That's not fair to the guy leading this franchise. I think and I think that's kind of I think it would have been done if they had done it as sort of a crutch for bad writing and I'd have called them out for it if they had. The other side of that is I didn't want this to be, you know, everything, you know, what I was hoping would not happen, thankfully didn't, was that you'd have Spider-Man and he'd be basically everything that happened in that second, the, the end of the second act, only he'd have been beat to hell by everybody in the Sinister Five, just thrashed about, just bleeding everywhere, you know, kind of Captain America at the end of, at the end of uh, Endgame, you know, shield broken, <laughs> Thanos going, well, I'll just kill everybody and start over. And Spider-Man, you know, and you know, and he says, and what are you gonna do about it? Spider-Man says the Green Goblin. And uh, you know, and then there's Tobey Maguire. He's not alone. And in walk him and Andrew Garfield for a very, a very brief cameo. I swear to God, I thought because Hollywood's filled with hacks, that's where we were going with this. Thankfully, they not only did not do that, but they actually gave Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield some really nice moments. Um, one thing that Marvel, I think, does well, and this goes to what you were saying before, Gavin, is it um, it captures, and this is also the strength of the Sam Raimi trilogy, it captures the look and feel of the comic book so that you do really feel like you're seeing a panel come to life. And Marvel does exceptionally well, better than Fox and Sony ever did with when they tried to hit their hands on a Marvel property, was creating those panel magic moments come to life. Um, and so visually there's those moments there there's them on the statue of liberty there's them diving off you know off the precipice and everything there's a lot of great great looking spider-man stuff in the comics in, in that scene but also internally emotionally 
they gave some great moments to Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield that feel like a proper resolution to their own stories, namely Andrew Garfield saving Zendaya, um, you know, after she gets yeeted off the Statue of Liberty, um, like you do when you're a girl in these movies, as I pointed out to my son, and my son now laughs at. He was like, oh, look, there's, there's your star girl. I wonder what she's falling off of. He's seven, okay? <laughs> and he'll be joining us on this podcast very soon. Um, uh, but yeah, you know, I, I like the fact that they, that, that, that part brought a tear to my eye. I really enjoyed that, that they gave Andrew Garfield that moment. Um, Tobey Maguire has a couple of different moments, too. You know, well, he's been stabbed before, so it's fine. Yeah, well, there's, there's that. I was so, not to... Not to derail this, but I mm -hmm. was so hoping that was fatal. And that's yeah. and that's not me. That's not me saying I don't like Tobey Maguire. I didn't like his mm -hmm. Spider-Man movies or anything. It's more that if you get to that point where he's stabbed at the, in that way by that guy from there, like, okay, well, where did he, he stab should... him in the ass? <laughs> like, he, again, I, and I thought it would have been a stronger choice for that to be. Mm -hmm. The swan song for Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man is I died saving Norman Osborn. Yeah. And I got to demonstrate, you know, to this other Spider-Man even more. I stopped him from going down my path because right. he well, has that's, what I, that's what I was getting to when you jumped in. It was him stopping Tom Holland from going to the dark side. Essentially, yeah. I, that was a very nice moment for Tobey Maguire, and it does really. And considering where we last left Tobey Maguire, he was struggling with his own internal darkness. That was the whole point of the the, the Venom sequences. Um, I Please, like the fact for the that love that... of God. <laughs> I imagine he's sitting there blocking the glider. <laughs> Don't do this; you'll wind up jazz dancing, and there's no coming back. <laughs> Let me show you what happened. Yeah. Um, so. It, that was walk that down was the it. street, finger gun pointing at people from your hips. <laughs> um, in short, they gave Toby Maguire and Andrew McCarthy, Andrew, yeah, no, right, Garfield. Right. Garfield. Jesus, I don't know Christ. why you tried swapping presidents there, but okay. <laughs> Andrew Garfield, Chris <laughs> Bailey, got it. Um, they gave they gave them they made them feel like real characters and not a very brief cameo like yeah. the Muppets. Uh, last thing, and then I'm and then I'm done. While I understand the mechanics of why they did what they did, and I understand it from both behind and in front of the camera, um, and I understand the in what service they did it to and for, I still wanted to throw my pants at the screen for the completely wasted Venom cameo in the after credit scene. There's so many other ways they could have handled that to get the green. Like get not started. not having him at all. Yeah, that would have been good too. Well, they need they stop, needed a stop, black stop. suit. Okay, in... you you want to do that? Okay. Your post credit scene is the is the asteroid falling that has the symbol well, on it. You, like you beat something. me to it, but them, them insisting that. Well, here's the thing. So I wish I hadn't jumped in because like you got ahead of my argument. <laughs> <laughs> let me let me build up to it see because you leave let there be carnage with him yeeting into the new universe and you're like oh my god what are they gonna do what they always freaking do at the end of these marvel movies nothing it's captain america doing a psa it's you know it's a lot of these stupid after credit scenes that have no effect on the rest of the universe they're just done for gags and yucks you know the you want to know the last good post-credit scene that marvel put out hmm 
It's actually at the end of Ant-Man and the Wasp when he's yeah. stuck in the quantum when he he's in the quantum zone and okay, bring me back, guys. <laughs> guys, and then we pan right. up to see that they've been snapped. Like that's right. it. Everything and, since then. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. It's like they they clearly got a laugh out of it. And they were like, well, this will be an excuse to have the black suit now in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, except that you're writers. You can have written any reason to have the black suit. You could have done, you know, honestly, you could have had, you could have brought in the Fantastic Four. They have a machine. Spider-Man uses said machine and gets the suit like he does in Secret Wars. You could have done literally anything because you're writers and this is fiction. They go with, let's just do a joke where Tom Hardy chews scenery for five unbearable minutes. <laughs> I remember yeah. Danny Rojas was there. Well, I'm, I knew you loved that. <laughs> yeah. Ted Lasso, sir. I was very happy to see Danny Rojas. Uh, All right. can I, I just yeah, have to say ahead. about that post credit scene. The Venom symbiote going, after hearing about the Hulk, <laughs> going, and you thought Lethal Protector was a stupid name. I appreciated Tom Hardy immediately going, yeah, because it still is. <laughs> All right. What do you think of the movie, Robert? Uh, this is a very up and down movie for me. Um, I'm not a big Spider-Man fan. I never have been. That's not ever a character that's really spoken to me in any sort of meaningful way. So I, I approach this a little bit differently than a lot of people. I'm with you guys that I like Tom Holland as Spider-Man as a casting, as an acting job. He does fine. Mm -hmm. I had issues with uh, Homecoming. Had plenty of issues with No Way Home, including the entire first half of that stupid movie. Home. Whatever. Well, Far you're going to confuse people. We're talking about No Way Home now. Okay, okay. Far from home. Look, the homeless Spider-Man, which he will be <laughs> when he misses. The Hobo Spider spinoff coming near soon to you. Uh, so He's well cast. He does a good acting job. Uh, I think you're correct. You told me privately because I, I expressed my disdain for the MJ character throughout the first two Spider-Man movies. I don't like her. Mm -hmm. at all i don't like the way she's written i don't like the way she's acted and that's which is not to say that i think the actress does a bad job it's just you can save bad writing with a good performance and i don't think she does that i think so i i don't like her this was the best that character has been written her entire cinematic existence zendaya is a perfectly good actress and i think when they, and I think the first two movies, they didn't give her anything to work with and in this one they gave her a personality and an actual character yeah, that, that helped a lot. I really liked the banter between the Spider-Men, um, mm -hmm. which shouldn't be all that surprising, but uh, that's still one of those things that you're never quite sure is going to play off as well as you think it might until you see the chemistry uh, between people. Like them reacting to the purely biological web shooters that Tobey <laughs> Maguire has got a laugh out of me. Uh, them all going... Again, they ripped this scene straight out of Into the Spider-Verse. But it's still true. It, it it was just I think it was just handled better there. But when he's on whatever building he's on, I forget which one it is. Uh, and he and he's you know don't tell me you know what I've been through. There's a reason that when Miles says that to everyone and into the Spider Verse, he's immediately told. I think it's by Gwen Stacy or Spider Gwen in that version. You know, we're the only ones who know exactly what you're going through. Mm -hmm. And that's that's kind of the point that should have been made there. I think. Uh, and instead, we just take an extra three minutes to get to the obvious point of them all sharing their experiences and trauma and what made them who they are yeah. and how important those things are to them. So, which is a big gripe. If I have a big gripe with this movie, it doesn't need to be this long. 
I there's no individual scene that I think please remove this, <laughs> but there's a bunch of scenes that just take two minutes too long to get to where they're going. Okay. And and I think over the and so naturally when you extrapolate that over the course of the entire film, you end up with a movie that's two and a half hours long, that really could have been two. And I, I think that's an issue that was had with this film. I, I don't know if they went bigger just to go bigger. But I, I think it's a problem. Uh, as far as gripes that I haven't already... The inconsistency in the writing really bothers me. Especially because your entire conclusion is muddy. You say we're going to make people forget that Peter Parker's Spider-Man. Okay. I mean, that makes sense, but then... Well, no, now we're all going to forget that you exist. Yeah, the pitch meeting. I was like, okay, but what about his birth certificate? Any footage that's ever existed? The fact that he was friends with these people since birth? Like, I know. Don't like, think about it too much. He and Ned, Again, he and Ned had a friendship that predated his turning into Spider-Man, and now he doesn't know who he is. So, not to be pedantic, but all that should have happened is they forget that he's Spider-Man, but they still know who Peter Parker is. It's, it's, a, it's dumb. It, it really is, and... The fact that they do it at the top of the Statue of Liberty. I mean, one, I actually like the gag that J.K. Simmons gets in here. So what is Spider-Man's grudge against national monuments, people? <laughs> I think it's a fair question to ask at this point. <laughs> but it appearing over the Statue of Liberty and the big golden light that goes off it uh, to make people forget this is they're this is a slightly more obscure comic book character, but they're cribbing off of Sentry's gimmick here. And that's not a character I imagine too many people are even remotely familiar with, but that's his whole spiel. His entire introduction as a character is this overweight, middle-aged, balding man remembers that he's a hero and has to save the world. And then he goes around reminding people of who he is, and they all remember, oh, yeah, wait, you were there when we did things. They're kind of setting up Spider-Man here to be a... Uh, they actually wind up using that for a different Sentry storyline later on, but that, that's kind of what they're playing off of here, and it just felt mm -hmm. a little bit weird. I don't, so I don't like the fact that they were unclear about the resolution to your conflict. I don't like that they were unclear about the stakes as far as that goes. It just, it, it's kind of a classic scenario where, and Marvel's done this more than once now. They don't seem to know when it's time to go home to use pro wrestling <laughs> parlance. Mm-hmm. I said this about the finale of Shang-Chi. Like, okay, you got to what should have been the logical conclusion to that finale sequence. And then the New Japan pro wrestling main event style kicked in and you just had to go for another 10 minutes. <laughs> Not everything has to be a 40-minute epic, Okada, if I might quote the late Larry Zonka about that. <laughs> and that's true here. Like, the finale of that entire bit is Tobey Maguire stopping him from murdering willem defoe right like when he makes when he gets past his immediate grief and rage and makes the conscious choice that i'm going to be the hero that's it like that's the moment you know that's uh, that's darth vader throwing the emperor off of the oh we have to go back but we have to go back to the shire we have to recognize that that you know life is hard after the, the, the war of the rings and so we have to have that scene in the bar and then we have to, you know, and Hang then have Frodo has to write about it. That's... And then they have to wait. And then they have to go to the shores and they have to have another goodbye. 
And then we can't end the movie unless we know for a fact Sam made it home to his wife and kids okay 20 minutes later. But when do all of the Spider-Men jump on the bed together? <laughs> yeah. So I, that really bothered me. I, some of the CGI in this movie is gorgeous. And some of it looks like a and, cartoon. And yeah, like that's final... not hang on, hang on, validate me. Was I not kidding when I said some of this goes a little Roger Rabbit at times? No, you weren't kidding. <laughs> um look, the scene on the bridge is really great. Um mm -hmm. parts of the, the finale is really uneven. Parts of it are really, really good. Then you right. get parts where the they lifted the assets for the lizard from the original Amazing Spider-Man movie and didn't bother to update them. And the entire bit where, again, reality is fracturing around Doctor Strange, that looks pretty terrible, <laughs> to be candid. Uh, Some so, of the, it's the gymnastics that Spider-Man, that the Spider-Man do uh, hither and thither throughout the movie that it sometimes gets a little Roger Rabbit for me. It, 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 looks, all way, it looks way too cartoony. Yeah, in places, uh, absolutely. So, again, it's a little bit overlong, but I, I agree with you that, you know, giving everyone kind of their own individual moment to redeem their own characters to get some closure for that, I thought was a really, uh, that was really well written. So I, I like the way they all play together. Um, mm -hmm. It was a really nice thing to see, actually, the way the Spider-Men kind of played off of each other. Uh, I just, I wish that this had been better written in terms of you know, shoring up some very obvious plot holes, uh, cleaning up language. And these, these are things I'm annoyed at this because these are things that could have been done easily. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's more what kind of gets my goat about it. Like, I'm not going to, I'll yell about the bad CGI, but when there's also really good CGI, I'm happy to acknowledge, you know, you ran up against timing and budgetary issues and choices had to be made. And those are not easy choices to make. But when you're sitting down at your computer to write your script out, you could have done a better job there and it wouldn't have cost you anything. Yeah. So I, I find that a bit annoying. Um, yeah. I mean, this was, as far as my personal enjoyment, middle of the road. Uh, again, this is not a character that speaks to me necessarily, so I'm not going to get the same joy out of it that others will, but I easily see why people do enjoy it. It's going to be very successful until the next Sonic movie comes out and we get uh, the Sonic verse end game. My son threw his pants at the screen when he saw that trailer. He was like, yes, this is my end game. I mean, in all fairness, them recreating the famous moment in Sonic 3 when Knuckles comes out of nowhere and punches the Chaos Emeralds out of Sonic the way they did was really nice. And look, Idris Elba voicing Knuckles, you couldn't have done better. To conclude this part of the conversation, then we're going to get into the money. And oh, boy, is there money to talk about. Finally. This is, the, this is the antithesis of last night's discussion. There's no money. Let's move on. Um, well, last yeah. night, we also spent a lot of time talking about great film craft as it pertains to the Guillermo del Toro production. If you're interested in Mark and I reviewing Nightmare Alley, you can listen to it in the archives. Um, two, two final things we need to do before we close out the segment. I got it. And, and I was thinking about bringing this up once we got into the money, but it's not really a money issue. This is This is more of a theater behavior issue or right? more of a cultural. oh yeah we really but, do but we to have to talk about this. it because yeah so many years ago um i saw the phantom menace twice in the theater Didn't really only twice options. only twice i saw I it see, once a, wow I, I saw that movie in theater more than you did nerd um anyway hey so, do you want mark do you want to know how old i was when the phantom menace came seven? out <laughs> not seven but uh i was 11 Gavin, you're close to me in age right you're you're 76 77 right yeah 
Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll be 42 in January. Okay, close enough. So I'm assuming you saw The Phantom Menace in theaters, and I remember this very distinctly. Now, gr now granted, this is like 99 when happens. <laughs> no. Okay, moving on. Before I forget, you hate Star Wars. Moving on. Um, I'm sure you have experienced the following. I experienced it in The Phantom Menace over 20 years ago. With the first time R2D, first time a legacy character shows up on screen, everyone cheers like they're at a Metallica concert. Okay. So the first time R2D2 shows up, I'm like, ah, it's R2D2, yay! You know, and then like they do it a few more times as the course of the movie continues. My experience with this, and maybe yours was different. We all saw it at different times. I saw it at 3.15 on a Thursday, the Thursday it came out. And um, yeah, you were the, you were asking for what you got. I'm just oh, no, and, and, and look, it's not like I got up and it was like you're all you're all assholes and took my penis out and peed everywhere. You should have. <laughs> well, I I asked to be there. I bought a ticket. I you get what you pay for. I'm just saying uh, you should have. Everyone, so they they show Matt Murdock. Everybody cheers. I'm kind of okay with that, even though I missed his entire line of dialogue in that scene because people were cheering long and loud. And it, it irritated me, but I at least they were all validated in their desire for there to be a connection between the the Netflix tele, Marvel shows and the MCU movies. Fine, that bridge is now there, and I'm sure tomorrow's Wednesday. I'm sure tomorrow when Kingpin shows up in Hawkeye, people will throw their pants in the air and just don't care. Fine, I accept all that. When Doc Ock shows up, have they hang on? Have they confirmed that about Hawkeye? Uh, we won't know till tomorrow, but the, but all the heavily, all the heavily. are pointing at yes, yeah. I hope Vincent D'Onofrio violently murders Florence Pugh. Just throwing it out there. Okay. Um... <laughs> <laughs> so... He's such a better villain than Yelena Belova ever could hope to be. Doc Ock shows up, and he's in all the marketing. Everyone knows he's going to be there. He's on the effing poster. The poster. He's on the poster. <laughs> He's in the movie. We knew this already. <laughs> and yet the seals that were in the theater with me are, 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 are. <laughs> and he shows up in the, giving the exact line of dialogue you heard in the trailer. There's nothing different about this. How did you, how is this a shock? Why are you so happy? And then they have their fight. And then Willem Dafoe shows up in the mist. <laughs> you know, you see the pumpkin bomb, you hear Willem Dafoe cackling, and everyone cheers again. And it's like, no, no, that same bit's in the trailer. <laughs> okay, so moving on from that, where I was looking around going, does everyone here have collective amnesia? Am I in a science experiment? What is happening? The answer is yes. <laughs> moving forward, we get to Andrew Garfield. Okay, fine. Everyone cheers when Andrew Garfield showed up for the same reasons they cheered when Matt Murdock showed up, and I accept that. But once Andrew Garfield showed up, you knew you were getting Tobey Maguire next. The same, if not higher level of enthusiasm when he walked through the door, and I'm kind of looking around going, I... okay, we get it, you're happy, shut up. In I fairness, it... I was happier to see Tobey Maguire than Andrew Garfield. No doubt. <laughs> Ditto. <laughs> well, look, uh, I, I assume there was at least one Cretan in your screening who cheered when someone finally said on the MCU with great power comes great responsibility. There was a lot of that. Um... <laughs> Never mind the tone of that scene, morons. <laughs> you all decided. 
so okay, fine. Oh, so all the, the so all the fan service has been paid. Everyone's pants were daintily taken off and given a proper hand job. Fantastic. I love a good group hand job. Doesn't everyone? <laughs> So, <laughs> congratulations, Marvel and Sony, for servicing the entire the entirety of comic book fans across movies everywhere by giving them everyone an appropriate hand job. Well done. Um, but but here's the thing: then we get to the final fight, and people are still cheering at stuff. I I, I have been to concerts where there was less cheering, and I ask you, Gavin, why? Why is this happening? Why can we not watch a picture where the people on the screen can't hear you? The people on the screen can't hear you! What I am waiting for the next step in this evolution, this interactive evolution between people on a screen! And people sitting in a chair where they bring roses, roses, Robert Winfrey, roses they'll give them. And they will put the roses on the screen where the people on the screen can't take them because they're on a screen. Why? Why? Why is this happening? This is not a performance. It's a movie. It's a movie. Go to bed. Go to bed. <laughs> Your thoughts, Gavin? <laughs> Full agreement, but I was fortunate to be in a screening where that didn't happen. Okay. Um, there was some light applause for Garfield and Maguire, and that was it. <laughs> kind of one so, of these. And... Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Little golf claps. I can accept that. Yep. Well, as yeah. I saw this at 1230 today, so 1230 on a Tuesday... Fairly, it wasn't a completely sold out theater, but there were a lot of people there, for, especially for that. There was no prolonged cheering, thankfully. Um, there was a lit, there was when Matt Murdock shows up, and for the less you, if you're curious, initially in the beginning of this movie, Peter is detained by the DOCD, the Department of Collateral Damage, Department of Damage Control, which or is damage right control. out of the comics sure department of damage control uh and he decides that he requires legal help in this instance and he does and so they hire so matt murdoch has a brief scene uh charlie cox as matt murdoch has a brief scene in uh amp, their house where he's letting them know that well you dodged your legal troubles because you didn't actually do anything illegal but i'm just here to warn you that this type of thing doesn't have a good ending you know, there's still a lot of things you're gonna have to deal with oh and by the way happy hogan you might need a good lawyer because the irresponsibility with which you've been managing stark industries has come <laughs> under severe legal scrutiny you incompetent boob then somebody throws a brick through the window and matt catches it before spider-man does because and he has a great line of dialogue He's like how how'd you do that i'm a very good lawyer a very good that, lawyer. That, 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 that. <laughs> uh yeah, so he's there, and there was a few, there was a reaction, but it wasn't prolonged. You know, ditto at Garfield and McGuire, and it was kind of singular. And then there were people who clapped after the fact, which I don't care for personally, but I under, I understand that once sure. the once the movie's done, you know, applause or standing ovations in a theater is a weird in a movie theater is a weird phenomenon because there's no one there to receive your accolades. Right. But that's the point that I'm making. I know it. I know people are going to hear this. Hi, Ronnie, that are going to be like, you grumpy old grandpas, you know, yelling, get off my lawn. It's not that. I Look, I'm happy to be part of a collective appreciation moment. 
it's the you give applause and you cheer and you react to things happening in front of you with live people. You know, it, it's like it's like wrestling. You know, they feed off the crowd. The crowd feeds off the thing, and you're having a collective interactive moment. I don't know. I find wrestling much better without the fans. I'm sure you do, um, <laughs> you ghoul. Uh, but I find <laughs> MMA better without the fans too, because at, at every event there's some drunken asshole. Who there's goes, nothing Whoa. to interact with on a screen. And I and please don't be pedantic. I'm sure there are exceptions to that rule, but you know I, what I'm saying. I know what you mean. Spider Man's not going to suddenly have more vim and vigor in his step because people are cheering. It's a photographed how, performance. How do you know? Have you watched, have you done a side-by-side -side comparison of a showing of this <laughs> with an enthusiastic crowd versus without? I need your control group. I need the variables. <laughs> okay, You're making a through. scientific assertion here, Mark. <laughs> and I'm just yeah. doing this to annoy you. I, okay. Um, I, I literally caused myself to have a hypertensive moment. So... <laughs> <laughs> um, Anything else? I, I needed to get that off my chest. I think we can all agree that it's a little silly and it's a little overdone. Now I think people are starting to do it because, like, they think they should. Like, oh my God, Bill Murray showed up in Ghostbusters. Let's all clap. I, it's the red letter media guys. I clap because I know what that is. That I don't know if you guys watch any of the half of the bag stuff, but Not really. um, it was a couple of, a couple of years ago. They were reviewing something. He was like, I, it was, I think it was Star Wars. He's like, I saw R2D2 and I clapped. I know what R2D2 is. And and I, I think that's like we've sort of evolved into this state of that's like expected now of the audience. We're expected to cheer at the at the photographed images. And it's like, how did we stray this far from you know naturally naturally occurring reactions to this? And it it annoyed the piss out of me because I do feel I, like it was overdone. At least I in the mean, theater that I saw it in. Uh, look, I've said this, I told this story before, but my worst viewing experience of a movie ever to this date in theaters mm -hmm. was when I went to a midnight showing of the first Avengers movie. Mm -hmm. That crowd, one, <laughs> laughed at lines that were in the trailer. And I can't tell you how much I hate this about people. Yep. You saw that trailer, you watched it on YouTube at least eight times, I'm betting. Mm -hmm. so when it happens it shouldn't be a surprise right but I, I, uh, oh i guarantee i guarantee you when when we when we do the batman we're gonna have the same conversation again and what we're gonna say word for word mark this down when you watch this on the youtube video compare this to what we say in the in the batman review we're both going to look annoyed when we hear someone say oh my god he drove the batmobile out of an explosion it's been in every trailer. <laughs> it's been in every movie, too, before this, you idiots. <laughs> but someone's going to say in the theater, oh, he made it, as the penguin's going, I got you, I got you, oh, no! And then the How next, and then cut to flipping over. How stupid do you have to be to think that they're going to end that movie like that? Like, who <laughs> buys into that that much? They killed Batman! What do we do for the next I hour? Wish, I wish they would. You know, I wanted a, I wanted an experimental art film where they hear where bat not some random superhero. I wanted established IP where they die at the end of the first act of the movie. It's just all living in a world without Batman. Gavin, I'm gonna give you the final word here because we've been I've had a stroke and we've been going on for a while. So Traumatized is there else? your son. Is there any well, you know, he'll get over it. Um anything else before we can move on? Um, I think to the point that Robert made or the question that Robert asked a while ago, 
I, I do think that it was big just for the sake of being big. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that they wanted this to be an event, especially after Eternals and Shang-Chi were not events. Um, they've been largely oh, through the pandemic. Oh, Eternals was an event, all right, just not the event they wanted. Uh, B and C team IPs mm-hmm. and yeah. the Disney Plus shows, which uh, the Disney Plus shows, I think, have been fine. Um, but I do think that this was big just for the sake of being an event. I, I think mm-hmm. that's what they wanted it to be. Um I like the fact that the only villain that was truly redeemed was Doc Ock. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the rest were cured, but Doc Ock was the only one that was truly redeemed. Mm-hmm. I, I was very disappointed that seemingly the only villain other than Harry Osborn that did not jump over was Paul Giamatti in his giant mechanical ro- <laughs> rhino suit. How could you? Come on, man. Come on, Marvel. You sh- Disney, you should have thrown Paul Giamatti a check here. It's not like Giamatti's going to price himself out of work. <laughs> I mean, you, you throw him in two bucks, he'll show up, he'll do the thing. Um, he'll do the, he will show up, he will do the accent, he will be in front of the green screen and whatever get up you need him to be in. Yep. Um, and he'll be enjoyable as he chews scenery. Um, yeah. I, I enjoyed the Charlie Cox thing just because mm-hmm. Daredevil is probably my favorite Marvel IP that they put on screen. Um, and a large part of that is because of Charlie Cox and Vincent D'Onofrio and their portrayals. The, the yeah. supporting cast was fine, but those two in particular, I just really, really enjoyed. Um, and I don't know how much either of you two have explored, but there is a, I'm not going to say it's a good theory or a solid theory, but it is a very well thought out theory to the tune of about 4,000 words that the Doctor Strange that we got in this movie was not the actual Doctor Strange, that it was I, the evil Doctor that. Strange from what we saw in What If, mm-hmm. and that is how people are explaining away the idiosyncrasies in his character and why he was not the Doctor Strange that we have seen in previous movies. I'm not going to give that a whole lot of validity, mm-hmm. but the article's out there. Like I said, it, it's a fairly lengthy article. They've put some thought into it, and one of the main sticking points for it was the fact that when he tried to grab the box, Spider-Man instinctively kept it away from him because he was not a good Doctor Strange. Um, also, so I think that's I've worth seen... at least debating and rolling over in our brains uh, I... as we head towards <laughs> uh, Multiverse of Madness. But again, I'm, I'm not going to say that that's a concrete thing. Overall, I enjoyed the movie. I thought it was fun. I intentionally went in with little to no expectations. Um, I think we would all be happier if the Venom movies just didn't exist. Um, (laughs) I've tried to like them. I don't. Um, I don't like anything about them. I don't like Tom Hardy's portrayal of Eddie Brock. I don't like the voice. I don't like the CGI. I don't like like anything about them. They're terrible. Um, But other than that, I got to see Charlie Cox and Danny Rojas in a movie. Um, I had fun. It was big. It it felt like a Marvel movie used to feel, yeah. and that was good enough yeah. for me. Yeah, I'll tell you one of the things that worked for me was the score, Robert Winfrey. The score I'm sh- in this, I appreciate you trying to segue into that, but uh, I'm, I'm not. Gonna, as, I'm not I'm good not, at segue into it. I'm only going to derail you partially. Uh, the score didn't do a whole lot for me, but if you would like to listen to it and disagree with me or disagree with Mark. Uh, I'm sure, Mark, there's a wonderful streaming service that they can use to obtain this particular set of sounds legally. There is. It's get em, It's uh, 
Amazon Music Unlimited. We are actually giving away a free trial of the Amazon Music Unlimited service at getamazonmusic.com slash W2M Network for a free 30-day trial. So you can check out all of the various Spider-Man scores by all the various composers. You can listen to the Ramones performing the old Spider-Man 70s theme song. You can listen to the various uh, songs that incorporate Spider-Man in some way, shape, or form. And when you're done listening to all 70 million Spider-Man tracks, you can listen to 70 million more that don't have anything to do with Spider-Man on Amazon Music. So click the link, get amazonmusic.com slash W2M Network. And now, for all the money there ever was, ever. We're in the money. We're in the money. All right. So this thing has a budget of, I believe it's $200 million. At, at least. Yeah. At least. <laughs> um, it has already made all the money every movie made this year. Um, it's, well, in America, at least. In America. <laughs> you know, here's a fun fact for you about that. So it, it, not necessarily related to this, but it's a really kind of random factoid. Do you know the last exclusively American produced movie that was the top that was the top earner for the year. Nobody? Because the answer might surprise you. It was a little film directed by Michael Bay called Armageddon. <laughs> that was the last time an exclusively American produced movie <laughs> was the most, uh, was the, uh, again, the highest grossing movie of the year. So, so the better part of a quarter of a century. And it is also the, th I believe, the third lowest grossing year winner, but just ahead of uh, Mission Impossible 2 and uh, last year. And 2020, of course, had the pandemic. <laughs> All right. Sorry, I had to run to the bathroom real quick. All right. So $200 million at the time of this recording, which is Tuesday night, uh, a few days before Christmas, it has made 6381 million dollars it said and disney executives everywhere are able to step away from the open windows <laughs> it set several box office records including for films released after the onset of covid19 and has grossed uh, as i said making it the sixth highest grossing film of 2021 at the time of this recording um it's it beat a whole bunch of records uh not including the um including the ones from uh you know during the time of covid but it even it's like comparative to endgame and uh infinity war i'm trying to find all right so as of as of december 20th no way home grossed almost 300 million in the u.s and canada and 340 in other territories worldwide for the accumulated sum i stated before um this is look this is what happens when a marvel movie is allowed to open in china <laughs> Okay, here's what I was looking for. In the U.S. and Canada, Spider-Man No Way Home earned 121.8 million, uh, including 50 million from Thursday night previews on its opening day, become the second highest opening film after Avengers Endgame, and the highest opening film for a December release ever. In its December week, in its opening weekend, the film grossed 260 million, surpassing Infinity War by about three million dollars, to become the second highest domestic box office of all time. Uh, the film earned 43.6 million from 15 markets on its opening day, with Sony holding the best opening day record ever 
and South Korea, the UK, Mexico, Italy, and Taiwan. In South Korea, the film grossed 5.28 million on its opening day, therefore, thereby beating Spider-Man Far From Home in its own country by over 11%, and the biggest one-day figure for any film during the pandemic. Um, in the UK, the film beat No Time to Die, so that's gotta hurt. Opening box office record at 7.6 million pounds, $10 million. In India, the film's box office on its opening day um, was about $4.2 million, uh, beating Endgame in the Indian film, something unpronounceable. In its five-day opening weekend, the film grossed 340... You're get us in trouble. <laughs> something unpronounceable for a moron like me. Uh, 340.8 million from 60 markets. As of, as of December 20th, the film's largest market... Mar the largest markets are the UK, Mexico, South Korea, France, Australia, Brazil, India, Russia, Italy, and Germany. Uh, so I, I just have, because I'm me, I have to poke this particular bear. You're telling me that Spider-Man No Way Home did better internationally than your deliberately internationally diverse cast for the Eternals. <laughs> oh, hang on, if you're going to do that. Oh, uh, boy, Robert. Happy now? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You haven't been able to use your soundboard for a while. I'm happy that I gave you an excuse to use it. Okay. Tickets went on sale midnight, November 29th, with several ticket websites like Fandango and, and AMC Theaters crashing because, you know, come on. Like, why be prepared? Um Ticket sales on Fandango surpassed those for Black Widow, no kidding, in just two hours. And by the end of the day, it became the best first day advance sale since Endgame, while also surpassing 24-hour ticket sales for Infinity War, Star Wars The Last Jedi, or otherwise known as Star Wars Makes People Cry, uh, Spider-Man Far From Home, Star Wars Rise of the IP, and Rogue One. No Way Home had the second highest one-day sale on AMC with the CEO of Adam Aron saying, thank you, Marvel. Oh, thank you. Oh! Um, attributing this to Spider-Man team non-fungible tokens. All right, so that's enough of that part of the money. I don't know if you guys know this or not, or are going to be surprised, but it won the weekend by a. I am. Uh, I am shocked. Yeah. No. I. I would imagine. Uh, allow me. Allow me to clutch my pearls and reach for the fainting couch. I, I really. I really thought Guillermo del Toro's <laughs> flick would take the take the box office. Yeah. I, I had more faith in the discerning taste of the average. I can't even finish that with a straight face. <laughs> I can't do it. So, Spider-Man uh, No Way Home with a slight margin of error um, <laughs> gets in the, in the number one spot with $260 million, um, just beating its, uh, its direct competition and Kanto, which had a $6 million gross for the weekend and a 35% drop. Just, um, you know, just a factor of about, what, eight? Also, in the same gosh darn company... West Side Story got knocked one to three and made three million for the weekend and had a 65% drop because no one went to go see it that weekend. I can't, I can't imagine why no one wanted to see a Steven Spielberg remake of a musical dance production where most of the, where a significant number of the people involved in the original are still alive. Ghostbusters Handjob Life fell from three to four uh, with a 51% drop from uh, its... Uh, that's not surprising you know we talked about this when it came out that movie did surprisingly well all things <laughs> no it's doing great i'm still going to continue to make fun of it for what it is um sure. and that made three million for the weekend nightmare alley 
which we talked about at length yesterday, but the conversation ended up going to Spider-Man because there was nothing to talk about. Uh, made two mil, almost three million for the weekend in two thousand one hundred and forty-five theaters, and debuted in the number five spot. Um, by the way, one, two, three, four, five. Um, all Disney. <laughs> Just saying, different companies. All Disney. Um, it occurs well, to me as I look. Not, at- I'm sorry, Sony Ghostbusters is not Disney, but. So, but but here's the thing, and, and cognitive dissonance is a real thing because Sony's like, we're number one, we're number one. You didn't make the movie, you cut the checks. What's hey, hey, calm down. Hey, Sony, next time you want to crow about being number one, let's take a look at how badly Let There Be Carnage cratered. Then talk to me, or better yet, let's make a bet about how bad Morbius does. Yeah. House Gucci fell from four to six. Uh, Pushpa the Rise Part One debuted at number seven. Eternals five to eight. I'm gonna end up owing Chris Bailey an apology very shortly. That thing's not getting across the 500. Though. Go see Eternals so that I don't have to publicly apologize to Chris Bailey. That's all I'm gonna say. Burn down uh, a local theater to stop people from seeing the Eternals <laughs> and keep Mark having to that. <laughs> all right. Well, there's no reason to encourage arson, sir. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> Uh, Clifford the call, Big Red... Uh, Calling a bomb threat. God, that's not legal either. <laughs> um, Clifford, which is day, which was day and date on Paramount Plus, fell from 7 to 9. Resident Evil, Welcome to Jason Teasley's Nightmares, fell from 6 to 10. Dune, day and date on HBO Max, fell from 9 to 11. Surprisingly strong holdovers from Dune, uh, which is going to go... It's not on HBO Max at the moment. I think it's due to go back after the holiday season. Mm-hmm. But... It, all things considered, Dune has to be considered a win. I mean, it's not the biggest of wins, but relative to what other movies were doing, especially day and date, like that's your winner. Yeah. Venom, Let There Be Carnage, fell from 10 to 12. The French Dispatch uh, went up a couple of places from 16 to 13. Licorice Pizza also had a, why uh, I believe is a, either about to or um, it's been a limited release. I think on Christmas Day, it goes to wide release and is in contention for Best Picture. Belfast maintained at the number 15 spot, also in contention for Best Picture. Red Rocket, not in contention for Best Picture, but well-liked, and also, I think, in limited release. Uh, Jumped up from 19 to 16. Uh, King Richard, day and date, 12 to 17. Drive My Car, jumped up from 21 to 18. Come On, Come On, fell from 17 to 19. And Schemes and Antiques debuted at number 20. Also debuting this weekend that nobody saw, The Novice and Knights of Cabaria, uh, which is a re-release. All right, so that was the weekend that was. We haven't looked at the worldwide in a while, Mark. How is the worldwide box office looking? Uh, well, the worldwide box office has a new entry to it. Spider-Man uh, debuting in the worldwide, currently at number six between Detective Chinatown and Venom. Let there be carnage. What a what what a place to be. Um, at the top, not a tremendous amount of movement as there hasn't been all year. Still looking to. Unless Spider-Man beats it, the the uh, the leader of the worldwide box office for the year 2021, not a lord, was uh, the Battle of Lake Shangjin, the propaganda film from the Chinese government. No shock there. Hi Mom, another Chinese China movie at 822, No Time to Die, petering out at 774. Uh, F9, The Fast Saga at 726, the aforementioned Detective Chinatown, then Spider-Man, then Venom. Godzilla still holding on to a top 10 spot. God bless it. It's, it's going to end the year in the top 10 for 2021. Yep. Which tell a lot of movies. I mean, that was a March release and it was day and date. A lot of movies came out between now, between then and now 
none of them could beat Godzilla versus Kong. Not even Shang-Chi in The Legend of the Ten Rings, which it came in. worse <laughs> than Godzilla versus Kong, and I have to stress this. Godzilla versus Kong was free on HBO Max. <laughs> and uh, speaking of which, then there's The Eternals at 400 million, which is in the top 10. And I feel like... For another week. I feel like Chris Bailey forgets that the original bet was that it would cross that would make it it'd be in the top 10 is what i said i would be in the top 10 i never said 500 million top 10 right quit I trying to quit <laughs> trying to crawfish on your bet oh you got me put the cuffs on all right um rounding out the top 20 are dune black widow free guy quiet place Two, corella my black widow man <laughs> um jungle cruise raging fire the conjuring and chinese doctors um, and then everything else is 20 and beyond and not really worth talking Hey, look about. at number 25 with 162 million. Every by, week he does this, Gavin. Every week. My <laughs> occasional reminder to LeBron James that you still are never getting out of Michael Jordan's shadow in anything you do. Um, Spider-Man uh, is looking to repeat in, the, in its second frame. Its competition is The King's Man, also a Disney movie, used to be Fox. Matrix, which is day and date on um, on HBO Max, and Sing 2, which is exclusively in theaters, a children's movie and a sequel to the predecessor from Illumination Studios, which is Universal. Um, apparently, Sing 2 is the best of the three, but everything bows to Spider-Man. Spider-Man has no competition for the foreseeable future. Its next upcoming releases of any note uh, or notoriety is the 355, which only me and my daughter will be seeing. Nobody else will. Hey, then, I have to review that. I'm reviewing that with you, so I'll be seeing it. Uh, you too, and you are a person. I should remember that. Um, and then Scream 5, and then they wiped the slate clean on the 21st. That that used to have a bunch of movies. It's got squat now. Um, and then we don't, you know, we, we, it takes till Mar uh, February before anything of note besides Scream comes out, and that's Roland Emmerich's disaster piece, Moonfall. Um, oh, and Jackass Forever, which my son's like super excited about. Do not so, take your son to see that movie. I will take my son to see Jackass Forever, and we will have a guess of a time. Uh, I can't. I bet Gavin can't wait till he can take Vincent to go see a Jackass movie in the theater. Right? 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 Gavin. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Blink twice if you agree with me, Gavin. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. For those on the audio-only portion of this, he blinked once and looked off camera. <laughs> so, with that said, I believe nothing else needs to be said about the money. Uh, Spider-Man. I my prediction even before all of this was Spider-Man. If if any movie makes a billion dollars this year, domestic um, that was released from Hollywood. It's going to be Spider-Man. It's still it's looking to do that. It's looking to cross the 800 million mark in its second frame. By the time it's out of theaters, and again, it's I don't know if it's under the 45-day exclusive window or not. It probably is. Every every movie studio seems to have done that. I know Venom was. Venom was PVOD at the 45-day mark, so I assume Spider-Man is too. So um, by the end of January, we'll know all told what the story is. I suspect. It makes a billion or maybe just shy, but it doesn't have that much further to go. Um, Robert, last words on the money. Uh, this will be one of the top. This will be one of the top three, probably top two films financially for 2021. <laughs> As Ronnie Adams chimes in, uh, appreciating Gavin's uh, choice of attire. He does look like he belongs in a cozy Christmas video. Indeed. 
Uh, yeah, this will be one of the top three movies all year. Uh, wouldn't be shocked one iota if it gets it to the top. Although if it does, if it looks like it's going to, I imagine the Chinese will immediately kick it out of all their theaters, or at, at a bare minimum, just say no. We're being mis. Everything's being misreported. <laughs> uh, we late. The Battle of Lake Changjin is still the most the highest grossing movie all year. Damn what the imperialists say in the West. Um, and when da- and Robert says, "Damn the imperials in the West." Uh, that's usually our sign to move on to our final segment. Are you ready? No! I said, are you ready? No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 All right. Uh, our final segment is brought to you by Grammarly. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly uh, helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W2M Network to download Grammarly for free. Well, no surprises here. Um, actually on the wrong page here. Uh, All the sycophants are out in full force. <laughs> 94% of a critical rating, fresh 99% audience score with over 25,000 ver- verified ratings. Quite the opposite. Of move of such luminary cinematic masterpieces like Ghostbusters Answer the Call and Charlie's Angels by Elizabeth Banks and whatnot. Boy, what uh, a terrible idea that was. And Terminator Dark Fate. There's a theme here I'm going with. A, a critical consensus, a bigger, bolder Spider-Man sequel, No Way Home expands the franchise's scope and takes without and, and stakes without losing sight of its humor and heart. The audience says, I understood that reference. Ar, 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 ar. Um, the audience says, packed with action, emotion, and surprises, Spider-Man No Way Home is franchise fan service at its finest. Hold on. Yes, sir. This has to come out of the audiences because no thinking person was surprised by anything that took place in this movie. <laughs> well, think about what you said there. Um, I right. know what I said. That's why I said it had to come out of the audience section. <laughs> All right, so let's see here. Emmanuel knows out of the movie. I just like almost everyone gave this a fresh. I I, I have no way to read this from, so yeah. I'm just gonna just read gen just random ones just to sure. get through this. Emmanuel Noise out of the movie blog, full of heart and everything we love in superheroes. This is not everything that we all love in superhero movies, sir. You do not speak for everyone. My friend Elizabeth, God bless her. I hope you're watching, Elizabeth. Remember, we all love you. And your husband, Ben, and your daughter, Caroline. Uh, did not like the end of this movie. Felt that Spider-Man should not have had a tragic ending. And then I said, have you actually read a Spider-Man comic? But hey, she you know, she is part of the everyone, and she didn't like it. So there you go. Spider-Man is a partially tragic figure. <laughs> Tim Brennan of, of, about Boulder. Despite a lot of bloat, the film is a joyous cinematic celebration of a certain wall crawler. Uh, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, any bundle of NBC News think with capital letters? Think. 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 Robert Winfrey. Yeah. Think. 
An overstuffed homage to Sony and Marvel's two decades in the Spider-Fam business, the film nevertheless manages to be utterly charming. A feel-good two-and-a-half-hour last hurrah for fans, except that they're doing a sequel to it. So what last are, they, are you referring yeah, to? Yeah, and second of all, <laughs> and this needs to be said, nobody liked The Amazing Spider-Man. And let's stop all of you people out there now going, oh, Andrew Garfield was so great. Stop. <laughs> You're the people who never bothered to see the movies that he starred in. Get bent, you hypocrites. <laughs> um, somebody put on Twitter today, if you all loved Amazing Spider-Man as much as you seem to be saying now, you'd have seen the second one. And I'm like, yeah, that's not very much wrong. Correct. <laughs> um, Wendy Eyed of Observer UK Top Critic, an overflowing funnel web cornucopia of treats for spider fans. You're just trying to get on the DVD box cover with that. Like that, you know, that's I, I, language. That is language deliberately designed to appeal to whoever chooses something they're going to put on a, uh, again, on a pop screen. Right. Like that's what that is. I mean, at this point between the critics and the studios and the fans, we are approaching mutual masturbation. Are we not? I mean, approaching. <laughs> well, you know. Uh, Matthew Bond, the mail on Sunday, UK. Clever, ambitious, and hugely spectacular. This is not clever. Uh, look, ambitious, sure. Spectacular, I'll, I'll grant you different viewing experience than me. What about this movie is all that clever? Unless you just mean like, oh, there's quasi-witty dialogue. Well, aren't you just easily entertained? Um, Edward Porter of the Sunday Times, UK. We're among old friends, and they are all in, and they are all on fine form. That's a Hallmark card, not a review. What the hell? Really is. Like that's the that's the inspiration for the next Hallmark Christmas movie right there. That's what that is. Ed Whitfield of Say It With Me Everybody. The Utray. Woo! The Utray. It's all part of a knowing scheme that repurposes what came before to create an endgame sense of anticipation and payoff. It's wholly unearned, but you have to give producer Kevin Feige credit. Recycling has never been this profitable. That might no. be the most, that might be the best review I've ever read from this particular group of people. Yeah, like that's <laughs> actually, I agree with that. Like, hey, the, <laughs> well done. <laughs> the nostalgia turnover is real. Okay. Well, here, here's a negative one. He didn't like it. Um, and he, he might be more negative than us, which is a feat in and of itself. It is. Ma Matthew Lucas of From the Front Row. That might be what part of your problem if you're craning your neck that much. Fails. 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 Ronnie Adams of the Screaming Boy podcast as both a film and a piece of storytelling because it's in desperation to give its villains a second chance. It reveals that it is nothing new or interesting to add to their stories. Okay. <laughs> Hang on, because there, there's two different arguments that are being made here. One I agree with, one that I don't. The notion that the issues he points out about trying to redeem the villains is a problem that doesn't add anything interesting to any of the stories being told, I think is fair. I think that's an accurate observation about some of the problems that you might run into with the writing of this film. The notion that that singular point results in failure of failure in totality of storytelling and film is a bridge too far. You, you've hit on something that is very true in the writing of this particular film and then just unfairly extrapolated beyond the things it does well. 
Okay. Um, uh, Corey Coleman of Double Toasted. There are things in here that almost feel like they're too good to be in a movie like this, especially when they get to the dramatic stuff. That's just needlessly <laughs> dismissive and demeaning of an entire genre of filmmaking. Like, uh, how dare you put dramatic stuff in my comic book movie? That doesn't belong here. Get out of here, you pedantic, pretentious twat. Um, Kevin Carr, fat guy at the movies. Why are we reading this guy? <laughs> because I ascend. I, I, I want to be like him. I want to ascend to his position of the critical uh, totem pole. Well, start writing your reviews out for the website for the website we contribute to and Look, I, I edited, expedite the process. I edited once. That was enough for me. Um, it's everything you want from a movie like this. Overall, it's a fun movie. Wow. <laughs> that is, I, you know what? I'm I not going to say... I bet he gets a, I get like a million views a day. I bet this guy is so popular among people who read movie reviews. I... Like, that's barely helpful <laughs> as a movie <laughs> review. <laughs> barely. Yeah. Um, Kyle Smith of the National Review. I love reading the National Review ones. They, they don't like anything, including things that are universally acclaimed. You know what? I can appreciate the contrarianism. <laughs> it's all dumb gimmicks, sci-fi gobbledygook, and digital spectacle. And the central love story is such an afterthought that the young couple, Holland and Zendaya, barely spend any time together. I mean, there uh, were one or two other things going on in this movie besides them wanting to get in each other's pants, sir. <sighs> It's an it's an exaggeration to say they never spend any time together. They do. They're fairly poignant moments. But the central point that he's raising about it's a bunch of nonsense and computer-generated imagery, you're not wholly wrong. I don't agree with your conclusion, but that's not a, that's not a false starting point. Uh, one or two more of these, and then we'll call it a night. Uh, Kathaya Woods of Cup of Soul. <sighs> a fun escape, 8 out of 10. Not a fun escape. So when I talk to the people at work and they ask me, did you like Spider-Man? And I say yes. And they say, me too. They send say, it's a fun escape. Maybe. That's, that's, not, that's not criticism. Hang on. Not only is that not criticism, that's not how people talk. <laughs> no one is going to say of this movie, it's a fun escape. That's, a, that's barely a coherent thought. You're a professional writer. Shame on you. So I think you need to get your um, your post high school degree. And I think you need to get it in some sort of journalism, some sort of writing. Wow. And then you need to go work for New York Magazine. Vulture. Absolutely. I, I will I, ne never, <laughs> never work I for that. I feel like this is your home. This is so I, I occasionally I, 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 I put people from their critical uh, place in your family. I marry you off to Lola Lamb Chops. Yeah, now you've decided, tried that. Now I've decided this is your spiritual, your spiritual place of employment. New York Magazine slash Vulture. Bilge Ibiri, top critic. Well, the previous Holland films have been mediocre in modest ways. No Way Home feels downright aggressive in its mediocrity. Try, hang on. I'm trying <laughs> desperately to rest the cognitive dissonance about wanting to 
tear that publication apart with the fact that he's not really wrong. <laughs> and look, lest you out there who you deeply, sound like you're taking a sideways poop. Just say what you need to say. Lest anyone out there think, what do you mean this was mediocre? I loved it. This is not an assault on your personal enjoyment. But the script is mediocre. The dialogue's fairly mediocre. The acting's above mediocre. But yeah, he's he's not wrong. And I think it, rather than mediocre, um, this is more like the safest of safe films uh, in pretty much every way. Um, Leo Brady of amovieguy.com. And no Way Home takes the audience on a ride with the web slinger swinging higher than ever and caught in a web of villains that no superhero movie has ever seen before. That's box art. That's not criticism. It's also not entirely accurate, seeing as every one of these villains has been on screen before. <laughs> <laughs> like, not this particular arrangement of teams, but they didn't bring you anyone new. They were banking on giving you things you'd already seen before and that drawing you in. Johnny Gaze Monic, a fanboy of the universe. This could only come about by carefully archiving, arranging, and remixing 20 years of superhero films across multiple timelines, directors, and franchises. That is a statement of fact. Yes, it's also not a criticism. I'm not entirely sure what, where we're going here. Yeah, that's that's deeply unhelpful. That's a recitation <laughs> of circumstances necessary. Like saying, yo, this film couldn't have existed without a director, a key grip, a, uh, an actor, and a cinematographer. Yeah, those are positions that need to be filled to make a movie. Yes. Okay. So, <laughs> this uh, I got three here. And this is for both you and Ronnie Adams. Uh, two of these are because it's your wife doing two different movie reviews in two different places. Um, and then the future ex Mrs. Winfrey, I should say. And then this other one, I believe, writes for RonnieAdams.com. Tanya Lamb of Lola Lamb Jobs. Well, in this case, it's the Money Geek. So, so Tanya Lamb of the of your Money Geek. God, I can't read tonight. The one where Peter grows up. No Way Home delivers more than just fan service in the best way possible. But wait, no. She also <laughs> she it also, really doesn't. She also says your wife does, your future ex-wife, Lola Lamb Chops. Uh, Spider-Man No Way Home is a fun romp through the Spider-Man universe. Just don't forget the tissues. Less kid-friendly than previous Spider-Man films. More kid-friendly <laughs> than previous Spider-Man films. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay, stop. Explain to me how in the world Spider-Man's European vacation <laughs> is appealing to the children. <laughs> Yeah, there's a couple of these where I'm like, ah, did you actually watch those movies, madam? Um, and then Eric Webb of Austin if American If you did, State. you retained none of it. <laughs> a triumph of popcorn cinema, says Ronnie Adams of Ronnie Adams of the Screaming Boy podcast. <laughs> I can't really argue with that. Yep. As Ronnie said, and I'll, I'll put his comment here. Uh, yep, here it is. Ronnie Adams of the Screaming Boy po podcast weighing in. Yes, it's a fun escape. That's what movies are. That's what movies are. And yes, some of them are absolutely uh, reality escapes. No question. Yeah, and you could eat dog food. That is, that's nothing other than cal than caloric intake, if that's all I you have want. I dog food. The biggest problem with dog food, especially like the treats, is they're a little on the tough side. Look, again, the point here is that you can do something that is purely it's in its basest form, or you can look for things that do more than that. 
Spider-Man No Way Home is dog food in that particular respect. It is calories of a appropriate amount that will meet the bare minimum requirements that are in a digestible format. But it's nothing That really more. should have been our review. Spider-Man No Way Home is dog food. I mean, I, look, would you rather... That's the Rattle Engine Broadcasting Network. I, you could just call it McDonald's French fries. Mm-hmm. The kids love McDonald's French fries. I'm not the world's biggest fan. I like uh, I like the Burger King ones, but that's not the point here. All right, folks, that's our Spider-Man review, such as it was. Yesterday, we had an elevated, lovely discussion for five minutes of, not, of Nightmare Alley, and then we just talked about Spider-Man more. We can't get away from this film. It's, it's eating everything in its path. Um, no, just kidding. We, we talked for about 90 minutes about the whole thing, and just only when we got to the finances did we bring up Spider-Man. Uh, I also re-aired our Long Road to Ruin for The Matrix, because that comes out tomorrow. Uh, myself and Harry Broadhurst reviewed Final Battle from Ring of Honor and Beyond Wrestling Fet Forever. The tomorrow, death of Ring of Honor, one of the most in- important independent promotions that's come out of the United, uh, the American scene in so long, and it's so sad to see them go out. Um, this week is our March to Christmas, um, starting with some old, some new, and some blue. We have our Harley Quinn holiday sp- Christmas special, Tarja from Spirits and Ghosts, um, her Christmas album. <laughs> Me and Christian, uh, in great vascular detail, describing the Warrior Christmas special in comic book form. And that all- was certainly a choice you two made. <laughs> I've never had more fun on a show than that than, than that one. Um, however, close second was myself and uh, Jesse Starcher reviewing Brian Posehn's The Last Christmas. Ah. Um. And then uh, on Christmas Eve, we've got our Christmas trivia show, our review of The Grinch from 2018. And uh, my kids swear that they're going to come through on this for me. We'll see what happens. But in theory, theory, we're going to do a triple feature for Mickey's Christmas Carol, Yogi's First Christmas, and Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. So that'll be fun. Christmas Day, we have our on-trial re-air for Jingle All the Way, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. And another re-air. Boy, that movie. And another re-air of Heavy Saurus Raiha Listajula, which is a children's heavy metal Christmas album. Um, uh, and then the day after Christmas is myself and Jason Teasley doing uh, Santa Jaws, a re-air of Robert and I reviewing The Hateful Eight. And in theory, myself, Jeff Sloboda, and David Wright reviewing Ghost in the Shell, which I now, which having watched it today, I now see why that movie did nothing. Aeon Flux. Not with- only did it, not only is it a bad movie. It's a mm. bad movie that cribs off of a very famous IP in the ongoing desperation, uh, desperate attempt by various um, entertainment conglomerates to crib off of other things and try to form their own MCU. So uh, Ghost in the Shell, Aeon Flux starring Charlize Theron and Ex Machina, which was one of the few movies Gavin has spoke glowingly about. It's a really good uh, movie. And then next week, damn you, Hollywood. Uh, first, it'll be myself and Ronnie Adams, and only Ronnie Adams, because not even Robert Winfrey will review this movie. It'll be we'll be talking about the King's Man, and then it'll be myself and Robert Winfrey talking the Matrix Resurrections. Um, yep. We'll have our review of Lordy Superfly Tramp on Thursday. Uh, we, myself and David Wright, will be reviewing, reviewing Foundation, and in theory, uh, Alexis Haina was not able to do. The Animaniac show when we had it scheduled. So we're going to do that and Looney Tunes season three at the same time. Two flavors in one. Yum it up. New Year's Eve. We've got a re airing of our Cobra Kai season two review from a few years ago. 
and that's uh, to go along with the release of Cobra Kai season four on Netflix. And then on New Year's Day, um, we've got my kids and I doing an alternative commentary for the Tom and Jerry movie from the 90s. And then a re-air of our Weird Al retrospective, which acted as like a Christmas show one year for the Metal Hammer of Doom, if I remember. Hey, look, Weird Al has one of the best Christmas songs of the last, you know, 30 years. Indeed. If you don't like the Night Santa went crazy, I don't know what to tell you about who you are as a person. All right. Um, so that's it. That's all my stuff. Uh, what's going on in your world in 50 words or less? Well, I cover professional wrestling a few nights a week. Um, this week I did AEW's Dark Elevation yesterday. I don't think there's anything for MLW tomorrow, but I am going to be covering the um, Impact Wrestling on Thursday because I got asked to do that earlier today. So <laughs> I just saw your heart die a little inside. Look... I don't dislike Impact as some kind of, like as some kind of I don't object to their existence. Mm -hmm. They have they have perfectly competent wrestlers and they tend to give them time to have good matches. Uh, there's just I don't know, I, there's nothing really compelling about them at the moment. So we're at two hours. Wrap it up. Yeah. So again, we are just about getting to the point where uh, Doc Ock shows up. If you're listening to this alongside the Spider-Man movie. <laughs> my joke with my mother was you can't that that movie doesn't stop it just goes on and on and if you go see, i've been getting messages from people desperately trying to get out of the theater to escape spider-man no way home but the vortex will not allow them to <laughs> okay you're at so, 49 words finish yeah yeah so i'll be doing that on thursday and then wwe smackdown on friday uh there's no ufc event this week in fact there's not a ufc event until the second or third week of january so I don't know what I'll be doing with myself until then, but I'll find something. I, uh, I host. Something. Yeah, but I'm going to say no. <laughs> uh, I host the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. This last week was a look that was a review of the most recent uh, UFC event that closed out the year for them. And my thoughts on Jake Paul knocking Tyron Woodley just dead. Just dead. <laughs> <laughs> brutal knock you know that's one of the best knockouts in boxing all year yeah there was a discussion on the sunday puncher podcast about whether or not it qualifies as the best knockout of the year when it's jake paul doing it the consensus was yes it's not like tyrone woodley was you know not a fighter but that but they just sort of lamented the sad state of boxing when jake paul gives you your your moment of the year uh, look, I don't, I don't know if it's the boxing knockout all year. I have to go back. If you're interested in that, you have to go back and relook at the highlights. But I mean, the fight sucked. The fight was awful. But you can't deny how nice a knockout that is. <laughs> like pretty textbook. Pretty much, and he, the way Tyron Woodley fell too, a slow motion flare flop, just uh, bonk. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was. It's a beautiful. It was a good knockout. I don't know what else to say. I don't know what else to say. You, if the fact that it was Jake Paul doing it makes you die inside. Well, that's on you. It doesn't change reality. So yeah, I give my thoughts on that fight as well, uh, such as it is. Uh, this coming, there will not be a regular episode of the Ground and Pound show this uh, Sunday. There will be one the first Sunday. In, I believe one the first Sunday in January. Uh, as uh, that will at least be my look back at 2021 as a year in combat sports. So 
be on the lookout for that if you're interested in combat sports, specifically mixed martial arts, occasionally dovetailing into others as it is relevant. And yeah, Mark and I will be reviewing, I'll be here with Mark reviewing The Matrix Resurrections next week. And I don't know what, I don't know how that's going to go, Mark. That could go very poorly. The following week, we will be doing a split Damn You Hollywood. I, I have decided that not every movie not every movie that isn't Damn You Hollywood has to be a triple feature. Sometimes we can just do two streaming movies and call it a Damn You Hollywood. This is me wrestling with my need to have everything neat and tidily and orderly. So um, not that anyone gives a crap what format we're using, but I do. It's important to me. So we will be doing a Damn You Hollywood for Don't Look Up and being the Ricardos the week after we do The Matrix uh, Resurrection. So look for that. All right. Until then. I can't believe I agreed to Don't Look I pitched Don't Look Up. I you certainly myself. did, Ollie. It's the last one on your list. I kind of hate the fact that I said we should... Like, I, I said that based on the strength of the cast and mm -hmm. a little bit the director. Then I remembered that the director has done like two other things since the big short that failed pretty hard <laughs> and went, oh, God, what did you I do? You pitched that and Escape from Spiderhead, by the way. So actually, Escape from Spiderhead is the last one on the list. Yeah, but we all know that's not being released until like summer of 2022. It's going to no, be... No, it's, it's on the list, you dumbass. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying it's going to get delayed. Like th that's a delayed joke, not a. Uh, well, okay. Well, it's currently scheduled for whenever it is, and it's on. Uh, it's uh, it's on our schedule right now, along with yeah. Mother Android. All right, with that that ridiculous ending uh, out of the way now. Escape uh, from Spiderhead. As, as, look, it's spider related, so hey. <laughs> okay, you want me to do a Spider-Man triple feature with Escape from Spiderhead? No, I really don't. <laughs> And with that said, when, when Robert says no, I really don't, that's when we need to end the podcast. So for Robert Winfrey, Gavin Napier, who effed off in the middle of that entire segment. Uh, we thank uh, Gavin for joining us. It's absolutely. nice to talk to him again. Lovely to have it's him. been a while. And, uh, yeah, he's always, uh, always happy to talk with Gavin. Be well, be safe, and behave.